Hi, this is Brian Landau, and you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Leslie Ankney. Leslie is the communications lead at Anchorage Digital, which is the first federally chartered digital asset bank. In this episode, we talk about how storytelling about crypto has evolved over the last few years, how to collaborate with large institutions around partner communications, and best practices around internal media training. Leslie Ankney is the communications lead at Anchorage Digital. Leslie comes to Anchorage by way of Ditto PR, where she was Director of Blockchain and Digital Currencies Practice and Associate Vice President, taking point on all things comms for some of the industry's largest crypto companies. Before Ditto, Leslie covered crypto at various publications, including Forbes, and worked with various blockchain companies as the founder of Upscale International, a firm dedicated to digital marketing in the crypto space. Leslie, thank you again for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Brian, thanks for having me. So for those that aren't familiar, what is Anchorage and how are you different from other B2B crypto products? So Anchorage Digital is a regulated platform that offers institutions a simple and secure way to participate in digital assets. We have a variety of services, um, but essentially anything that an institutional client would like to do with crypto, whether it's brokerage, uh, lending and custody, those are all things that are part of what we do. We also have the first federally chartered digital asset bank. So I think the shorthand answer to this is what banks let you do with cash. We basically do that with crypto for institutions. So Anchorage has been one of the players that has helped to professionalize and standardize crypto. But the early uses of crypto were sort of nefarious, right? Like drugs, ransoms, things like that. From when you were a journalist covering the space to now, was there a tipping point as to when consumer perception of crypto transitioned from being sort of... Uh, back channel to now being totally legitimate. How much of your work at Anchorage is educating and destigmatizing those that still think crypto is being a shady asset class? Okay, there's a lot to break down here. But first thing I will say is there's been just a much more broader adoption of cryptocurrencies as a form of payment, as a store of value, just as, as something that people want in their lives. Additionally, just about every bulge bracket bank or fintech is looking at cryptocurrencies and not just cryptocurrencies, but the technology behind blockchain and how they can use that to better payments. So that has really changed from the early days where we found, you know, people were associating it with like the Silk Road and and these like back channel deals and the idea that cryptocurrencies were like essentially like a way of circumventing or getting around the traditional finance system. Today, it's very much about how is crypto going to fit in? Like at Anchorage, we're always asking regulators, please regulate us. We want clarity for our industry. We want it to be legitimate part of the financial system so that when you think about finance, crypto is just part of that. And it might not be something that people see every day. It might be just replacing ACH or slower payment rails, like money transfers, which is what we've done with Visa as a partnership. But it, it also might be people directly holding them in their bank accounts. So when it comes to clients, you asked about how do we do we need to educate them? What I've heard from the founders is when we first started, like in 2017, in the early days, um, there were more institutions that would come to us and say, like, hey, what is crypto? How do I use this? What, what should I do with this? 
But now institutions come to us and they usually have like a clear investment thesis. They have an idea of where they want to go. Um, we also have a lot of, again, like fintechs, bulge bracket banks, traditional banks that are saying, I know that we're going to need crypto um, to get more retail interest in our products. They see like a 10x um, amount of engagement when they add crypto services to their companies. So it's become more of a, like a matter of not if, but when crypto is just going to be part of our everyday lives. And so a lot of that early stigma, I think, has gone away. You just mentioned Visa a moment ago. Let's talk about this for a moment. How do you handle joint announcements with a partner like this? I imagine that there's not only the motions of getting the messaging and the release in place, but perhaps there's also a lot of education that you need to do with colleagues on the other side of the announcement. What's the process look like? Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny you ask that because it is very, very different um, announcing with a large partner like Visa versus announcing with even a very smart institutional uh, institutional company where they may have a very smart um, plan for what they're doing, but they've probably never actually done a professional announcement before. Um, same with we announced with a lot of protocols or new cryptocurrencies we're supporting and and many of them have haven't had a lot of experience with media or know the process. So big partner like Visa, like you said, there's a lot more internal education that happens there because their PR team is probably just about as big as our whole company is. It's massive. So they're doing a lot of internal work ahead. And when they're ready to go, they're going to let us know and we're going to have to move really fast. So internally, some of the education I do is, is letting them know, like, this is how it works with really large companies like this. So this is what we can expect. It doesn't mean we're being left out. Um, but the good news is they're very, very familiar and accustomed to the media process and, and to making a good announcement. So, so we really don't need to worry. Um, the second situation is when we're working with a protocol or we're working with an institution, maybe it's a hedge fund or a new client that just they've never really worked with the media. So they come to me and they're like, we want to get this on New York Times. You know, that's always the ask. And so there's there's one like that level setting of expectations, like after doing the research, here's the things I think are realistic for this news, like what kind of targets we can hit. And then there's very much like a process of just laying it out there. Here's the timeline. Here's the things that will need to get approved verbally and then recapping it all in an email because there's just so much chance for them to to not be sure or to ask again. So I try to really simplify it, make it very transparent, um, and that that smooths out the process. And I don't really have to educate my team on that because it's all under control. You lead a ton of media training internally at Anchorage. But what's so unique is that it's not just media training for the C-suite. Department leaders receive the training. Recruiters receive the training. Can you talk a little bit about how you handle media training across the company? What's the process look like for your colleagues? And is it different for someone in sales than it might be than someone in talent? Yeah, one thing I want to mention, too, is we're, we're not just doing media training. One of the things I noticed um, joining the team after two years at the agency representing Anchorage was I had a lot stronger pulse on what each part of the company would say about like who we were as a company. And what I noticed right away was if you were working on, you know, product all the time versus you're working on compliance all the time, you're going to be extremely focused on that thing. And it actually impacts how you describe the company. So we were getting like different variations on who we were. And since we've been growing so quickly, um, I put together a messaging training. So I've 
just about completed that. There's been about six different sessions with groups of the team, but that session is about how do you talk about the company at a high level and give that full definition so it doesn't sound like we're just specialized in one part of the business. And that's been really rewarding because that's like over a hundred people are, are getting this training and getting this understanding of how do I define the company at a high level before I dive into my domain specific parts. The media training um, was something that I had put together seeing how one, how we're growing and two, like the company had hired so many domain specific experts from product, from design, from compliance, from legal. And there were just gonna be opportunities I saw where we could get the media coverage in their trades and they were gonna have more expertise even than like a founder. So when I was at the agency, we typically only had two spokespersons and, and I changed this by developing a media training in-house for, for each of these departmental leaders. And that's been, that's been really cool. Um, each of them has their different ticks like anybody else with speaking. So we have different things to work on depending on the person. So it's not so much about what their department does, but what they personally need. So what we'll do is go through that media training together and then I'll do a mock interview with them at the end. And, and some things will necessarily come up. Then um, after doing outreach, when we have the first media opportunity for that person, we do another mock interview, this time with the potential questions that I'm predicting that journalist will ask. And this allows them to just practice through their talking points, see that they're ready, build some confidence. And then after the interview, I give them feedback as well. So they're really getting like a full coaching experience end to end of that process so they can keep improving. I love this. And this isn't a question specific to your colleagues at Anchorage, but maybe more broadly speaking, when you're doing the, the coaching, the training, is there a certain point typically where someone might get tripped up? Is there like a quick fix or an easy fix? And nothing's easy, of course, but is there something that is identifiable where you can sit there and say, listen, if you can get this just 10% better, the whole experience will be that much more rewarding. I think the one thing that comes up for a lot of them is getting a question that was a surprise. Like I said, I'll, I'll put together like a briefing document for them. And I'm since I was a journalist, I'm pretty good at taking the context of setting up an interview and predicting what the potential questions will be. But let's say that there's something that happened in the industry, a new company just had an IPO or something like that they weren't expecting. Being flexible in that situation is something that every executive can benefit from. So one of the things we talk about is knowing that and going in with confidence that while you may not know exactly what's going to be asked, you can transition to messages that you do know well and that you can answer. So we talk a lot about that, just improving on if that unpredictable question comes, like if some reporter was to ask you, what's your favorite cryptocurrency? Like they're not going to answer that. Um, so they're going, they're going to switch over to, to something that they can say, which would be something like the fact that Anchorage enables participation in all digital assets. We aren't picking favorites. We have more than 60 assets that we support. So the answer of whatever Elon thinks is cool this week, that's not an answer that someone should give. <laughs> Probably not. I'll get you out on this question. People learn in a lot of different ways. How do you see written word, video, audio, and other formats working together for internal communications, learning, and development? Is there a messaging cadence that you might use internally for important announcements and training? I, I found that the more that we can combine different mediums, different ways people learn, the better. I know a lot of people think, 
oh, my learning style is auditory, my learning style is kinesthetic, my learning style is written. But the reality and what um, more studies have shown is that we learn from learning things in multiple ways in multiple formats. So when it comes to these media trainings and these messaging trainings, we also have a speaking and presentations workshop coming up. We do them in different ways. At the beginning, I'll encourage people take notes if that's something that helps you. Honestly, I already know though that them taking notes, whether they're a notes person or not, they'll probably retain more because they're hearing it plus they're writing it. Second, I record all these trainings so they can watch it again. Hearing something a second time, we know retention is going to go up from that. And then actively doing things like in these workshops, we have at least three portions throughout the session where we stop, get everyone off mute. <laughs> they hate the echo. I've told them they have to embrace it. Um, and we're doing something as a group that way, or um, we're using breakout rooms in our, in our meets so that they can partner with someone and actively put things to practice. And putting that combination of different ways we learn together has been really powerful. Like I'm just seeing a lot more retention than if I just dropped a guide on, on how we talk about the company um, to everyone in Slack. Like that's just not going to be enough. That's really static. You need to make people interact with something in different ways and engage with it. I'm joined today by Leslie of Anchorage Digital. Thank you so much for all your time and your wisdom today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Anytime.